According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As always, our growth comes through the Scriptures. We have a new passage today, starting in Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, where we are taking a look at the first ten verses. We've been in uh, the Gospel of Luke for quite some time, and... uh, This is the last paragraph we will handle, um, for this stretch anyway, because uh, we will leave after Luke 17.10 and turn over to John 11 for the next episode. Episode 27, or uh, I'm sorry, 26, is the the resurrection of Lazarus, which we have coming up in John chapter 11, and a couple of episodes that happened there, so... Um, a little bit of a Luke interruption to handle that, and then we'll be back to finish the rest of Luke 17 once that is complete. All right, Luke 17. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and uh, he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, "Um, you're out of your mind. (laughs) No, they said to him, increase our faith. What they were thinking was he was out of his mind. It seems... Forgiving somebody seven times a day is ridiculous, outrageous, unreasonable. No human being could possibly forgive somebody seven times a day. Well, we'll deal with that. The Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. All right. Well, anyway, that's the first six verses. We're going to go down through verse 10 by the time we finish this episode. It's actually, it's a smorgasbord. It's a collection of teachings that he was giving them near the close of this particular phase of ministry. So um, we want to be able to highlight that. There was something very similar that happened as the Galilean ministry was winding down. We had record of a number of uh, messages that were given in very rapid format in a very uh, short um time frame and that's something similar to what we have here near the close of this phase of uh, of his ministry before we begin let's take a moment for silent prayer so that as believer priests we are filled with the holy spirit and humble under the authority of the word of god shall we pray Heavenly father we come before you today thankful for the truth of your word and thankful that we have this opportunity, Father. We uh, we acknowledge that it is a grace provision, that uh, our nation still uh, enjoys the freedom that we enjoy, that we have the uh, freedom to assemble together openly in a public building and the um, in uh, in the free worship that we have been blessed with all these years. So uh, we don't know how much longer such blessings will continue or such freedoms might abide, but uh, as long as they do, we continue to redeem them. Uh, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Father, we ask for your blessing on our study today as we evaluate the principles of stumbling blocks. We know that they have to come. Uh, We just want to make sure that we are not the instruments through whom uh, they do come. So uh, help us to, uh, to recognize this truth and make application. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, we're going to outline these ten verses in a total of five points, and I don't expect we're going to get past uh, the second point today. Uh, but first of all, let's just get the context for these this message as it's being delivered. Uh, as this phase of ministry winds down, this is point one in the outline, as this phase of ministry winds down, four common messages were recapped by Luke. In fact, we've seen these before. These aren't new to us because they've been taught previously in, in the Gospel of Matthew. In, uh, the, in Matthew's record, they've been taught during the Galilean ministry, and he's recapping them again here. The wonderful principle that every pastor loves, of course, is the doctrine of repetition that says that we are edified if we go back over things that we've studied in the past so that we can reinforce it in our minds, so that we can add details to it that that we didn't pick up on the first time or the second time or the third time or the seventh time uh, as uh, we go through and review each particular doctrine. So again, point one, as this phase of ministry winds down, four common messages are recapped by Luke. Similar messages were delivered at the end of the Galilean ministry as well. And uh, as I pointed out, there were a number of times that he would uh, stand up to speak to the disciples and give a string of six or seven uh, seemingly unrelated uh, or rather loosely related concepts because he's giving them the things that they need at that particular moment. Clearly, uh, there were things that he was involved with, things that his disciples were involved with that pertained to stumbling blocks. And they wanted to make sure that they were not uh, being the source of those stumbling blocks unnecessarily. Because the Father, uh, the gospel itself is a stumbling block, which we're going to see here in a moment. And many of his uh, conflicts with the Pharisees left them pretty tripped up. So we want to evaluate, was that Jesus' fault for tripping them up? Was he sinning? Was he carnal in that? Or is uh, some of it simply the consequences of a heart that's not humble before the truth? And if you speak the truth in love, well, then uh, it's not your um, responsibility that they're uh, stumbling over the truth. We'll see that here in a moment. So, again, we'll start with uh, the first of the topics. And uh, topic number one is stumbling blocks. So this is point two in your outline. Stumbling blocks are inevitable. The English word inevitable actually happens here in this verse, uh, which is um, good for the point of study, but not so good as a point of translation. <laughs> I'm going to actually draw it out in a more uh, literal rendering for you here. Um, the concept does refer to inevitability. We've got a lot of idioms and expressions that we can use today that uh, communicate an inevitability where we we, uh, we're simply resigned to something that's going to happen. And whether we want it to or not, or whether we're happy about it, we at least can acknowledge that, uh, well, it is what it is. And so um, we have a number of ways that we can reflect that. Um, here, though, it's, it's interesting because it's different than the text that we have in Matthew. And I'll probably be doing a lot of flipping back and forth because the message in these first two verses is paralleled in uh, the message that Matthew recorded in Matthew 18, verses that's not a typo. Verses 7 and 6, okay? They came in a little different order as far as Matthew's record of it goes. Um, here in Luke 17, he talks about stumbling blocks in verse 1 and millstone in verse 2. In uh, Matthew 18, let me flip over there, he, uh, the order is reversed because of the context. And in that passage... They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest, and uh, he had discussed uh, childlike faith and childlike humility 
as um, the desirable uh, character trait. And because he already was in the realm of children, he uh, built on that with the idea here of causing a child to stumble. And so it's in verse 6 of Matthew 18 where he references the millstone. It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And the language is a little bit different. Vocabulary is a little bit different. The word better in Matthew is different from the word better in Luke. And each of those different words for better uh, actually communicates a wonderful truth. And so we want to understand both of the terms that apply to better and uh, understand them ourselves. So stumbling block uh, or uh, millstone in verse 6 and then stumbling block in verse 7. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. Again, it's a message of woe. The reference is to the scandala, the stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable. Once again, the English translates it as inevitable. And yet it's a different construction here than what we have in Luke. And I don't like the rendering inevitable. Uh, I like to, uh, in either case, actually. Uh, In this case, uh, in Matthew, the reference is to necessity. And in Luke, the reference is to impossibility. And I think we would do better if we kept the terminology um, distinct because they're distinct in, in each passage. And if the one stresses necessity, we want to understand the necessity. And if the other stresses impossibility, then we want to identify the impossibility. And uh, I think we do ourselves a disservice if there's too much um, language harmonization that takes place. That's been the uh, snare ever since scribes first started copying manuscripts. <laughs> they, it, was their, it was their tendency to go ahead and change one manuscript to match what the other one says. You know, and they're copying a manuscript of Luke, and so they change it up to match the words that are found in, in Matthew, for example. That was very common for, uh, for a number of centuries. Now we have it where modern translations are doing the same thing, where we've managed to keep the Greek terms separate, from Matthew to Luke, and then uh, an English translation like New American Standard goes ahead and, well, let's just harmonize everything so this passage is reminiscent of what we have over here. Anyway, I believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. That includes every verse, and that includes every word within every verse. God uses the words he wants to use. It's the word, the rhema of God that we want to understand. All right. So stumbling blocks are inevitable. Again, Matthew 18.7 says, Woe to the world, the cosmos, because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. So we have two woes actually in Matthew 18.7. There's the general woe to the cosmos because of the uh, environment or because of the uh, design of this fallen cosmos. But then a very particular woe gets focused on the individual uh, involved that becomes the, uh, the tool, becomes the instrument through whom, the agent of the cosmos, through whom the stumbling block materializes. So anyway, those are the two passages and uh, they are in, uh, clearly they're in parallel. We don't, uh, we don't get worked up over dis- uh, differences or um, discrepancies. Uh, there's mockers out there and Bible haters that will view uh, different circumstances, different terminologies. And, things, and, and they say, well, see, it's, uh, it's a fraud. Or look at that. Uh, uh, you can't trust the Bible. The Bible's got uh, mistakes or it's got contradictions, as it were. 
And uh, that's all just garbage from folks that hate the Bible anyway or hate God and don't want to submit to what the Bible says. Um, we actually appreciated the fact that the uh, verses are phrased a little bit differently, that Matthew is a Jewish tax collector, has his own uh, vocabulary and his own writing style and his own approach to things, uh, plus the fact, of course, that he was an eyewitness when these things were taking place. Uh, Luke, on the other hand, was a Gentile. He was... Uh, his Greek is much better polished, much more uh, Alexandrian, much more uh, scholarly, uh, many more medical terms you would expect from a doctor doing the writing. And Plus, he was not an eyewitness. He was a historian. He was interviewing those who were eyewitnesses. And so much of his writing reflects that. You know, I think if, uh, if they were word-for-word word clones of each other, then the, the God-hating Bible skeptics would use that as a as a thing that they would hate they would say see look it's the but you can't trust the bible it's just they're copying each other <laughs> right so how do you win you know you really don't win you're not going to please the uh the god haters anyway also this message on stumbling blocks did jesus give it during his galilean ministry as per the gospel of matthew or did he give it in the Perean ministry the judean ministry as per luke uh, is that a contradiction no, I think he gave it both times. He probably gave it multiple times. He probably taught this stumbling block thing three or four times a year as far as that goes. Because when you're traveling from town to town to town, it's not like uh, you're getting to this location and they, uh, you know, they downloaded the MP3 from when you were teaching it in Galilee, right? They, they're hearing it for the first time. And so when you're on an itinerant preaching basis, you have the, um, not only the opportunity, but even the responsibility to uh, repeat a lot of the foundational messages over and over and over again so that uh, it gets across to, uh, to everybody that needs to hear it. All right, now, specifically, in Matthew's text, that point A, is where we'll give you some of the vocabulary. In Matthew's text, stumbling blocks must come. It's described as a necessity. It's a have to in life. In Luke's text... It's even more vivid. In Luke's text, we're told it is impossible for them not to come. It is impossible for them not to come. Different, uh, different expressions in describing the arrival, the coming of, uh, of these stumbling blocks. Now, um, the terms that we want to evaluate are pretty well known to us. Scandalizo is the verb. S-K-A-N-D-A-L-I-Z-O, scandalizo, number 4624. That's the verb, which means to trip somebody up, to, uh, to uh, either cause them to stumble or to produce a block, which then that in turn causes them to stumble. Anyway, it's a verb form, active transitive verb, that means that you are the agent that, result, that produces the stumbling result in somebody else. And then the noun, skandalon, it's a neuter singular noun, S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N, with the O-N ending, that's the neuter singular ending, that refers to the block itself, the, the, uh, the trigger, the block, the snare, whatever, you, whatever thing it is, all right? We might even today, to use an idiom today, we might say, uh, the button, okay, the button. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe there's more than one, Okay. Uh, but chances are uh, your spouse knows what buttons to push. If uh, in their carnality they want 
to uh, to uh, to get your goat. They want to uh, launch you into the carnal condition that they're in, right? Likewise, you know what buttons to push for your spouse in your carnality if uh, you uh, desire to uh, to launch them into your carnal status as well. Remember, misery loves company, and that's the nature of it. Carnality loves to provoke others to join them, not only giving approval of the thing, but also desiring for others to do the same. And so uh, that's what we're talking about with stumbling blocks, uh, producing the device that trips up a brother, that trips up a sister, whatever it might be. And uh, for different folks, it might be different items. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is that causes the stumble, whatever it is that causes them to trip, all right, and it could be it's, it's could be anything, because we're so varied in our areas of weaknesses, we're so varied in our uh, lust patterns or in our addiction uh, formations or what have you. For some folks, maybe alcohol is the stumbling block. For somebody else, alcohol is no big deal. It, Never touch this stuff, or they could take it or leave it. They don't care about that, but for them, maybe it's uh, immorality. It's women or something like that, and that causes them to stumble and that sort of thing. So um, anyway, there's you got to know what it is. got to identify it for what it is so that you can avoid it, so that you can make the priestly decision to apply love and uh, not insist on liberty that may uh, result in the brother stumbling. All of this, of course, is, uh, is review because we had comprehensive development on all these principles in our First Corinthians series a um, number of years ago. And since that wasn't today, uh, we better review. We possibly have forgotten since we went through First Corinthians um, chapter 8 and Second Corinthians and the things there. So, scandalizo and scandalon. I went ahead and combined the references. Scandalizo has 30 uses. Uh, scandalon has 15 and uh, combining them into an assortment of passages here for us to um, focus on. This is not all of them. This is just a sampling. In Matthew 5, this was a feature of the Sermon on the Mount. And so stumbling blocks, we understand. Jesus preached on them in his day for the dispensation of Israel. Uh, Paul preached on them in his day for the dispensation of the church. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus also preached, uh, is has application for the nation of Israel, but it looks forward mainly to the coming kingdom age. And uh, that's what we see here in Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30. And this is uh, in a larger context that uh, helps us to understand that the Christian way of life, the, the uh, kingdom, is uh, everybody's all wrapped up in externals, but the internals, the spiritual reality, is what we should be focused on. We had a a reading this morning in our prayer meeting that addressed that. And so here's Jesus teaching on the law, teaching about murder and adultery and all these external things. And he says, you know what? We're all murderers. We're all adulterers. Okay. Except for himself, of course. Because when you've done it in your mind, you're guilty. When you've done it from the heart, you've already done it as far as God's concerned. And so, uh, for example, in verse 27, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so it's not uh, a legalistic thing of, well, I haven't done it. I think a lot of the Pharisees uh, were probably innocent of the external deed. 
simply because uh, they were so uh, wrapped up in the externals that they never would have even dreamed of such a thing. And yet, um, how guilty were they in their mind? How guilty were they in their thinking, looking upon a woman or uh, wondering, uh, you know, all the fantasy realms of, of things and saying, well, as long as I haven't done it in my body, well, then I'm, I'm still fine. And Jesus says, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because it starts from the heart anyway. So uh, verse 29 then, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. And what doesn't come out in our current study, in, in our, the, the recap of this message that Jesus is giving, uh, when he's talking about stumbling blocks, here in Luke he's talking about causing others to stumble. But when he taught it in the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing he was dealing with was your own self-stumbling blocks. How you trip yourself up in things that you really ought to uh, uh, remove. You really ought to clear the decks. And there should be nothing so dear to you that you cannot be willing to let it go. You say, well, it seems kind of extreme if I have to pluck an eyeball out. Yeah. It's called the language of extreme. And he does it to make a point. He uses extreme illustrations to make the point. Are you willing to gouge out your own eye? That's extreme. (laughs) And truthfully, now he's not asking you to do that literally. It's a metaphor that's being employed in order to communicate the the principle. There were some monks in the Middle Ages that actually did it, and it's tragic that such a thing would happen. Um, So, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose, better, notice the word better, for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Your right hand makes you stumble. Cut it off. Throw it from you. Better that you should lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And uh, this is the principle here. So when he taught stumbling blocks before in the Sermon on the Mount, he started with your own self-stumbling blocks. You've got to start there. And then added to it with the stumbling blocks that uh, can trip up others. All right, over to Matthew 13 then. Matthew 13. So again, we don't want you to uh, start amputating parts of your body. But understand the principle. That there should be nothing that, you, that is so dear to you that, that if He expects you to let it go, you're not willing to let it go. See, that's the problem. What is it you're holding on to that's causing you to stumble? And why can you not throw it as far as you can throw it? All right, Matthew 13. In the parable of the sower, we have uh, the term used in verse 21. Uh, He has no firm root in himself, but uh, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He stumbles. And that's... uh, that's what happens. The adversary throws the conflict out there. The adversary throws out the um, persecution, the affliction, the testing, the temptations. And why? It's because of the Word. The adversary doesn't want a disciple in the Word. So he puts temptations out there, stumbling blocks out there, other things. Remember, they must come. They have to come. It's the Father's plan for you to be tested. It's the Father's plan for you to prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Further down in the chapter, verses 41 and 57, in verse 41, you have, um, you have the wheat and the tares. And, and when, when are we finally going to be done with wheat and tares? Well, it's not going to be in this age. 
The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. See, it's going to be at the end of the age. It's going to be the beginning of the millennial kingdom when they all get thrown into, the, into hell for the, uh, the furnace of fire, that place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So uh, recognize that. See, there's enough stumbling blocks in this world that, uh, that uh, the unbelievers are throwing out there, that carnal believers are throwing out there, that the, the uh, fallen angels are motivating human beings to throw out there. We don't need to add to any of it. All right, We don't need to add one stumbling block because there's sufficient stumbling blocks already. It's impossible for them not to come. The world we live in produces them. So let's not add to the situation. Then, uh, same chapter, then verse 57. And uh, they stumbled at Jesus. And uh, this is where we want to... I think these are verses that we want to add to our understanding because we don't just simply want to hold on to the verses that say, don't be a stumbling block. If you're a stumbling block, you're committing a sin. That is true. But then this passage here is also true. That says, you know what? You may be a stumbling block and yet not in a carnal way. We want to be able to say both are true. We don't want to put both in contrast and say, well, I'm going to believe this and, and I'm not going to believe that. Both passages are true. So um goes to his hometown and they were astonished. Where did this man get his, this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? In uh, the Mark record, it says, is this not the carpenter? I believe he was both a carpenter's son and a carpenter in uh, learning the trade from his dad. Uh, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not with us? Okay, no mention of Joseph here. He's believed to be, uh, he's believed to be dead. Okay, I almost said with the Lord. It's kind of awkward when the Lord is on earth. And Joseph dies. He's not going to be with the Lord. Anyway. Because uh, <laughs> if he was with the Lord, he'd still be alive. All right. Isn't that awkward? Do you ever think about that? Am I the only one that has these... All right, just pray for me. I get these weird thoughts. And his sisters, how many sisters? We have four that are numbered by, uh, of the boys, of the brothers. The sisters, we don't know how many, and they're not numbered. And you wonder, it's probably more than the four, I would think. You know, if they, if they couldn't be bothered to name them all or whatever, I mean, they could name four. Maybe he had so many sisters they didn't want to run through their names or whatever. Seems to me. They didn't mind listing off four brothers, but how many sisters were there? Makes you wonder. Um, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And so they took offense at him. They scandalizo. They stumbled over him. Their subjectivity drove them into these mental attitudes and patterns. But Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. So here's a case where a stumbling block occurs and, and we're told it's over him. So you can say, well, he's a stumbling block. Is that, does that mean he sinned? Because we're not supposed to be a stumbling block. See, that's why we want to understand that we're not supposed to cause them intentionally. But if, due to our obedience to God, they stumble over us anyway, then that's not something we intentionally did. We were staying faithful to the Lord. You understand the difference? All right. 
That's why it's so vital that we compare Scripture to Scripture and we don't just simply camp on one verse and, and do so to the ignoring of, uh, of other passages. All right, you've got a long string of them in chapter 18, um, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. We were just there, actually. Looked at all those. Then in uh, chapter 26, three more. One of them in verse 31 and two in verse uh, 33. And um, it's they're rendered fall away here. Which is unfortunate because when I think fall away, I'm thinking apostasy. I'm thinking uh, apostasia or some some verb like that. But actually, it's it's uh, scandalizo here. So Jesus said to them, "You will stumble. You will all fall away because of me this night." The disciples were going to be stumbling. For it is written, "I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered." But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And um, it's interesting. John was the only one that confessed, repented, got back in fellowship in time to get to the cross and stand there by faith, standing next to Mary. Uh, I believe Peter came back to watch at a distance. There's a reference in First Peter, I think, that indicates that, that he saw the cross at a distance, not close enough to talk to. And I believe the other ten just scattered, or the other nine just scattered. Didn't confess and repent, get back in fellowship until, uh, until much later. But Peter said to him, even though everybody else might scandalizo, I will never scandalizo. Not me. I would never do that. Okay? This is the biggest warning I can think of (laughs) for anything. I don't care. If you have a pride issue that views another person or views a sin or views something and you just have it in your attitude that, oh, I would never do that, just be careful, because pride goes before the fall, and believers believers find themselves doing things that they never thought they would have done. They never imagined they would have done, things that, that, that horrified them in previous years, but because they got prideful. It's, uh, it's an aspect of divine discipline when God gives you over in your pride. So uh, anyway, that's uh, the application on that. Of course, Luke 17 is our passage today. Romans 9.23, These are with reference to Israel. And uh, they're worth looking at this morning because it ties in pretty well to um, what we're dealing with on in our Corinthian series, that the veil lies over Israel's heart. Whenever Moses is read and different things. I thought I had double-checked all these, but maybe not. Okay, it's 33, not 23. Romans 9, 33. And... um, Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. 
they submitted to the law of Moses as if it was law that could produce righteousness. And uh, they did not pursue it by faith. They didn't, it, the word did not profit them because they did not unite it by faith. And so they failed to uh, achieve righteousness. They failed to enter into rest. They failed to, uh, to glorify the Lord because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. And so they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. See, one of the titles for Jesus Christ is this stumbling stone, this rock of offense. He's the cornerstone, which is also the stumbling stone. And uh, think about how uh, the gospel can trip people up. You say, how can the gospel trip people up? I love the gospel. Yeah, because <laughs> you accepted it. <laughs> and uh, in the, in the uh, grace of God that convicted you and drew you and prepared you and gave you as a gift to the Son at that moment of your salvation, you believe. Praise God for it. But for the crowd that's busy working hard to try to earn it, the gospel's a stumbling stone. Are you kidding me? Just anyone can have it? Are you kidding? I'm, I've been working hard for this. I'm better than this next guy. I should have it before he does, or more of it than he gets. In fact, he doesn't deserve it at all. He's, he's barely working the thing. I'm working my, my legalistic... Uh, you know, hindquarters off, and, and I'm, I'm working hard to try to get to heaven here. And the idea that it's a free gift, that's too easy. That can't be right. That can't be right, because that means that uh, people worse than me can have it too. That, and my pride doesn't want to admit that's going to happen. <laughs> and so uh, it, it doesn't matter if it's Jewish legalism working hard to earn it or Catholic legalism working hard to earn it or uh, Muslim uh, works trying to get it. Mormons are working hard to try to get it. In fact, pretty much every religion you can find out there is working hard to get something. Hindus are working hard to have a better life next time they come back. (laughs) Right? I mean, they're all working hard to earn something. We're the only ones in the universe that are working hard not to earn something, but we're working hard because we didn't earn a thing and He gave it to us anyway. We earned the lake of fire, but He gave us eternal life. And so we're working hard in response, in appreciation, in uh, walking in a manner worthy of what we don't deserve. It's a glorious truth in the principles of grace. Uh, a couple chapters over in 11.9 we see it. And uh, Israel, what they were seeking, they did not obtain. The chosen people, all they got, well, those who were chosen obtained it, but the rest were hardened. And so it's interesting. You have the chosen people, but within the chosen people were those who were chosen. There's the corporate election of Israel. There's the personal election of born-again believers. The rest were hardened. And then it talks about here the uh, snare and a trap, a stumbling block and retribution to them. And... um, Enough on that. We'll, we'll be dealing more with Israel's blindness in uh, our Corinthian series because that's uh, we have the unveiled face and they still got the veil over their heart. Uh, Romans fourteen thirteen sixteen seventeen. Romans fourteen. I want to don't want to miss that one. I think um, hmm, every believer.
Every church-age saint ought to read Romans 14 and 15, or at least through 15, 13, the first half of the chapter. From Romans 14, 1 to Romans 15, 13, that ought to be required reading by every believer every day of the week for a year until you get it memorized, until your soul is so saturated with it, you've read, I mean, it's only, uh, let's see, it's 23 verses plus the first 13 verses in, in chapter 15, so... That's 36 verses. You read those 36 verses every day for a year until your mind is so saturated with it you could recite it in your sleep, you know, backwards in Hebrew or whatever. But just get it to where your soul is absolutely saturated with it. And we have the uh, the recipe here for uh, church unity and grace, relaxed mental attitude towards one another, the blessings of watching one another grow and helping one another grow and letting one another grow. As it starts off, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. This is our acceptance of one another. This is true biblical acceptance, not the garbage the world puts forth in terms of tolerance. I'm supposed to tolerance, uh, you know, tolerate every evil that's out there. Why would I do that? I should accept what is evil, or accept what is good, and reject what is evil. I'm not here to tolerate anything that's evil. But accept the one who is weak in faith. Is he a brother in Christ? Then he, he's worthy of my grace attitude towards him. One person has faith and he may eat all things. He who is weak eats vegetables only. There might be a dividing, a wedge issue, a dividing uh, stumbling block issue there. Maybe it's not meat sacrificed to idols. That's not really a modern phenomenon. But there are plenty of modern equivalents of things that become idolatry for some folks. All right. They're enjoyable pastimes for others. They're idolatry for some folks. And uh, we need to identify that for what it is. Verse 13 says, uh, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. If you know it trips them up, if you know that their conscience can't handle your liberty, then you don't have liberty. Stop exercising it in their uh, in their periphery, when you're around them, if they know about it, stop exercising it. Whatever it might be. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul had a, a very mature uh, scope on liberty. He had, he had a lot of freedom. He didn't mind uh, some, some meat that was offered up to Aphrodite. Didn't bother him any. He wasn't in the temple uh, participating in the, the fertility ritual. You know, he just purchased the meat and uh, pre-cooked, right? It's already offered up on an, on an altar, and uh, <clears throat> there it is. So, uh, yeah, chow down. Good stuff. Well, but to him who thinks it to be unclean, it is unclean. whole lot of believers in Corinth and in Rome and different places that uh, they remember what they used to participate in as unbelievers. And to them... The they just were not comfortable partaking of that meat because of their the damage to their soul the the grief and sorrow over uh, what they used to participate in and different things and maybe what they from time to time even consider that what ha, what do they do when they go carnal when they go carnal you think they ever uh, head back over to that temple where they used to go all the time. So, I mean, the, the, that meal itself might be something that uh, these believers say, no, can't even go there, can't think there, can't even contemplate that realm. 
So if you know that it causes them to stumble, then it is. It is a sin. To him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. If, you, if the conviction of your heart makes that a sin, it's a sin. If the conviction of your heart says that's what it is, then you're carnal the moment you do it. Somebody else can do it and not have to confess anything because they're still walking in the light. But you do it, you better confess because you're no longer walking in the light. You violated your conscience according to the convictions of Scripture. See, if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. So plug in whatever stumbling block issue is. That's a fill-in-the-blank verse. It might be food, it might be alcohol, it might be smoking, it might be dancing, it might be movies, it might be whatever it might be that people get uh, wrapped up about. And if that's what uh, causes them to stumble, then you have abandoned the law of love and you're commanded to walk in love. Considering their needs is more important than your own. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Anyway, this entire uh, chapter here, um, verse 20, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food, or even verse 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. We are actively pursuing these things, or we're supposed to be. See, uh, it just bugs me. More and more I see believers that view the Christian way of life as a just kind of a a passive, um, a passive thing, as if it just kind of automatically happens. As if, you know, what's the difference between that and an unbeliever? You're just kind of living life, working, making money, eating, sleeping. You know, marrying, giving in marriage, buying and selling. It's like the days of Noah, and they're living in temporal life. They coincidentally happen to occasionally hit a church, uh, you know, a couple times a month or this and that, but. By and large, their behavior is largely identical with a lot of moral unbelievers. And their Christian walk is a passive thing, not an active pursuit. These verses demand it to be an active pursuit. Pursue, chase after the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Make it an active pursuit. See... Put effort into it. <laughs> you know, that's high-speed pursuits. That's my thing. I mean, from my law enforcement days, you betcha. I know what pursuits are all about. That guy's running. Hit the sirens. Let's go get him. Right? Or an inmate takes off uh, headed for the fence. You know, you're not going to let him escape, are you? you got to pursue. Hunt him down. And the longer he makes you run, the harder the collision will be when you finally do catch him you understand how that works um pursue active pursuit you put effort into it you're chasing it down not just well you know take it or leave it comes and goes passive christianity because what you get judged for the judgment seat of christ is how you built up your brothers and sisters with gold silver and precious stones so let us pursue the building up of one another you go to sleep at night or go to bed at night and, and cannot answer the question, what brother did I edify today? What sister did I edify today? If you can't answer that, how are you going to sleep? So do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. 
So it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. You can edify, you can bear fruit by avoiding the stumbling blocks, even though otherwise you might feel free to participate in such things. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. All right. 16.17, Romans 16.17, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, who cause stumbling blocks. If you've got a stumbling block factory <laughs> consisting of a troublemaking believer in your flock, they've got to be dealt with. And uh, you have to turn away from them. In fact, if it's, uh, if it's on a personal basis, then you simply isolate and avoid and and uh, not uh, not fellowship with such. If they're in a church, it might become an issue of a divine discipline application. If if it's something the pastor and the deacons have to get involved with, look, you're causing these stumbling blocks. It's got to stop. Turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And they're pursuing it, and they're tripping up others right along with it. All right, 1 Corinthians 1.23, 1 Corinthians 8.13. These are passages we had uh, in our recently completed Corinthian study. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. 8.13 Chapter 8 is largely a parallel to Romans 14. Again, what if they see you Dining in an idol's temple. Will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened? See? Because he's going to see you in there eating, and he's going to think, oh, he must have gone in there to uh, to uh, worship Aphrodite with those priestesses. Oh, you just went in there to get the meat. But he sees you in there, and he gets tripped up. He goes, oh, well, look, Pastor Bob's doing that. I guess I can go do that, too. And his carnality just runs on in there and uh, engages in the fornication and other stuff going on. And that's not what was happening. You, you just got tripped up. So that's uh, 8.13. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. You notice this? It might even be not just simply for the moment, for the day, for the season. What if it's a never again situation? Never again for the rest of your life. Oh, my goodness. Well, big deal. It's only, what? Yeah, 80, 80 years or whatever. I mean, how much longer do you plan? I'm not going to live 80 more years. All right. Hope not. Jeepers. I, want to hear it. I don't want to live 80 more days. I'm waiting for a trumpet. All right. The rest of those, um, 2 Corinthians 11.29, Galatians 5.11, 1 Peter 2.8, 1 John 2.10. I think you've caught the uh, the point on this. I want to get to points B and C today, though. Well, let's see. All right, we've done enough of them. Let's get the rest of these. Might as well. Second Corinthians, eleven twenty nine. If your brother does stumble, and if you're not the cause, do you breathe a sigh of relief and say, "Whew, glad I didn't trip him up." 
Or is there another element at work as well? Should you still have some kind of concern? And that's, uh, that's what's communicated here. After he runs through uh, all of the external difficulties he has, being scourged, being beaten, being stoned, being shipwrecked, um, all the times he was jailed, all the times he went without meals. And then he just writes it all off and says those are external things. Apart from such external things, there is daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And here's the question. Who is weak without my becoming weak? Who stumbles, scandalizo, without my intense concern? Without my intense concern. This is where we learn how to develop compassion for one another. Now, yes, if a brother stumbles, first item I want to make sure. Now, wait a minute. Am I the stumbling block? Okay. I'm not. Okay, good. Glad. Because that puts me under discipline or I have to confess that if that's the case. But whether I'm the stumbling block or not, once I identify a stumbled brother, do I have ministry towards him? Do I have obligation towards him? I should. Should I have a concern? I ought to. Say, you who are strong, bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not displease ourselves. Uh, if any brother is caught in a trespass, restore such a one. A spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself too, lest you too be tempted. Um, they are led into sin. They stumble. We better be concerned. We better be intensely concerned. We better identify the fact that uh, here is a fellow soldier on the wall and he's now fallen. So who has your back? You know, the, the number of soldiers on the wall are diminishing every time a brother stumbles. And at what point do we have minimal staffing on this wall where we can't hold the wall anymore? <laughs> so um, sooner rather than later, now would be good to uh, motivate and influence and encourage and whatever uh, is required in a grace manner to convict and reprove and rebuke and to encourage a brother, your sister to get back up. You know, you stumble. Right, I'm not going to kick you while you're down, but I am going to pick you up or urge you to get up. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever you're going to do, but get back in fellowship. All right, you stumbled. I understand that. Confess it and move on. But get them back on their feet. Put them back in their armor. Get them back in the fight. Because tomorrow you might be the one stumbling. <laughs> and who's going to be there to pick you up when, uh, when you let him just lay there in the filth? See. And that's a, you know, Christianity is not designed to be selfish. It's not designed to be, oh, well, hmm, yeah, too bad for you. Glad I'm not doing that, right? Watching your brother stumble. Watching uh, some horrible things taking place. See? And, uh, you know, different things going on, and not only here, but in different realms, different ministry realms where he places you. I've got uh, ministry in the Boy Scout troop out there, and some of that's my freelance uh, pastoring work that you know no charge to them or whatever but uh you know you have a chance to pray for him you see the things they're doing you see a man that leaves his wife because he decides he wants somebody else and whatever and just breaks your heart and you think well wait a minute is there a ministry opportunity there do you look at something like that and say um you know do you name the name of christ and why are you doing this you pick them up what do you do or do you just say Whew, man that's not me you know, absolutely, absolutely.
I think that attitude is one that uh, is just, again, it's the pride. All that is is pride, thinking that somehow you're better than them. What are you talking about? You see somebody else and their kids are a wreck and they've, they've become adults and they're making wrong decisions. They're doing different things. Do you have an intense concern? You, you want to become an intercessor? You want to pray for them? You want to apply agape love? Or are you going to get prideful and say, huh, if they were as perfect as I am, their kids would have turned out better. Yeah, just wait. Wait till your kids hit that. They're going to set records and make the other guys look like saints. You know, this is the thing. We pastor friend of mine, his son committed suicide last year. And, you know, you pray for those kind of things. Breaks your heart. Just rips it up. Was it the pastor's fault? Was he not teaching doctrine? No. <laughs> In fact, that pastor and his wife were so broken hearted, they had to, they had to, throw their son out of the house in his teenage years. He would not repent. He would not walk right. Died the sin of death under divine discipline. And uh, you, you praise God because he was saved as a child. But uh, in any event, we learn, we learn how to pray for one another, how to love one another, and it's all looking to yourself lest you too be tempted. It's a recognition that, you know, but by the grace of God, there go I. That's 2 Corinthians 11.29. Galatians 5.11. The stumbling block of the cross, once again. It's a stumbling block to Israel. We've seen that in a number of these passages. 1 Peter 2.8. 1 I do want to get to B and C. How am I going to do that? 1 Peter 2.8. Um, that we are precious stones... He's a stone, we're stones. We're living stones being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And uh, that's simply because uh, of our position in Him and the recognition there about Christ being the stone of offense. All right, and then the last one, 1 John 2.10. The one who loves the, uh, his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling. In him, but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Simple answer for stumbling block versus not being a stumbling block, walk in the light, and you're not a stumbling block. All right, point B then. That being said, nevertheless, be that as it may, <laughs> woe, woe. You, you have no excuse simply because, well, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come. It's impossible for them not to come. So why am I worried about it? All right. There's a very strong but in this verse. And it's not a normal kind of Allah or de or one of those kind of buts. This one's a plain, P-L-E-N, plain. You say, what's plain? Well, plain is a very special kind of but. It's a conjunction, adversative conjunction. It's describing a contrast, like all buts do, but it accepts, fully accepts, and embraces what comes before. It says, yep, that's true. Yes, that's true. Okay. Some other buts will deny what comes before. Okay. We're not under law, but we're under grace. OK, 
Okay, so that's a normal kind of but that contrasts this is false, this is true, and it's a contrast. The plain contrast is uh, fully accepting what's before it and showing a contrast anyway. Saying, okay, yeah, that's true. That being said, be that as it may, all this being true, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. That's no excuse. I understand that. But, that being said, make sure you're not the stumbling block. It's a very powerful uh, way to communicate this. But woe. Woe to him through whom they come. Woe. Woe is not a happy message. We'll come back next week and study woe. We're going to study bad news messages. We're going to study what happens when God says woe. He pronounces woe. It's not a good thing. It's automonopoetic. It, it means what it sounds like. You say, ooh-ah. And if you say, ooh-ah, it doesn't matter what language you're speaking. People understand, oh, that's not good. <laughs> okay. Somebody sent me a YouTube video yesterday, and it was of a, a um, building demolition that went bad. You, know, you ever seen a building explosion where they implode it, and it collapses in on itself, and it goes down and does everything it's supposed to do? Okay, well, there was one that happened in China, and it didn't work right. And it didn't, instead of all coming down on top of itself in a very controlled way, it kind of thumped, split in half, and then one half of the building just went with a massive collapse over, you know, 300 yards over the other way. And it was bad, right? And um, there was a lot of uh, Chinese people making this video going, oh, 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 oh. You know, now I don't speak Chinese, but I know that, oh, 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 oh. That's not a good thing, okay? And it's the illustration of what we're looking at here because in Greek it's ooi. In Hebrew it's hoi or oi. Uh, the, we've got the Yiddish expression, oi vey, oi, you know, oi. And it's, it's, it's universal. God designed, I think he scattered all the languages of Babel but gave all of them the same oi. <laughs> you know? And when God says oi, you're going to have a bad day. He's administering judgment and it's not a pleasant circumstance so it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come that being said what you're about to have happen is worse than tying a millstone around your neck and jumping off a cliff all right that would be preferable because when the hand of god's discipline hits you for tripping up a brother you're going to regret not having the millstone. The millstone would have been better. Anyway, we'll resume this uh, next week. Father, thank you for the truth. And Father, thank you for the uh, review. Father, we've studied stumbling blocks before. We've had it in, in Life of Christ. We've had it in First Corinthians. We've probably had the doctrine of stumbling blocks uh, several times in our Christian walk. But each time is a good reminder, Father, that maybe... Maybe I've got to evaluate. Maybe there's something I'm doing I haven't been thinking about lately. So help us to make application. Help us to actively pursue the things that make for the peace and the building up of one another. I don't just want to assume that uh, my kids are just going to grow up over time. It just it happens. Or my wife, she'll, she'll grow in the Lord. It just, it just happens. No, I need to actively pursue building my wife up. I need to actively pursue building my children up. Father, I need to actively pursue their edification so they can be transformed through the renewing of their mind and not simply uh, conformed 
to this age and this fallen age in which we live. So, Father, thank you for this doctrine. Thank you for the truth of your word, for the privilege we have to assemble. We're not adequate for these things, but you cause us to be adequate. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.